Thank you very much, Peter. As uh, Peter's already said, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine Church Hall. So we are carrying on our series on God's name. And uh, as I've said previously, this is a nine-week series, series, but with some stoppages throughout. And um, we are on week five out of week nine. So after this one, there will be four left um, going forwards. So I hope that you've really enjoyed it. I hope that it's been really helpful. I also hope those booklets that we've been uh, given out have been helpful. If you haven't got one, I know there's some at the back uh, for yourself. Uh, but this whole series is, is specifically around Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. But it is taken into note the whole story of Exodus, because Exodus is, is an amazing book. And if I just give us a quick recap of Exodus, uh, like I do most weeks, just to remind you. But Exodus chapter 1 to 18 is all about God uh, rescuing his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of fear, out of suffering, all the way towards the promised land where they would experience freedom, they would experience liberty, and they would experience a place where they could truly worship their God. And God chose this man called Moses. Many of us have heard of this man called Moses, and he it was Moses that would be there that would be leading the people when the plagues came in. He would be leading the people through the Red Sea. He would be the great leader of roughly about two million people exiting Egypt at that time all the way towards the promised land. And that's Exodus chapter 1 to 18 in a nutshell in many ways. But then we get to Exodus chapter 19 and Moses and God are on Mount Sinai and they're having a conversation with each other. And Moses, uh, God sorry, makes this covenant to Moses, but really to the people that have left Egypt towards the promised land. And he says this, if you obey my terms, you obey my teachings and my laws, I will make you a great nation, a kingdom of priests. He's saying that if you obey the Ten Commandments, which I'm about to give you, and we're all very familiar with, familiar with the Ten Commandments, you will be a nation that is set out for my people. And other nations will look to you to know who their God is. Do you imagine if God said that to England? That all the other nations of the world are going to look to England to know who God is. We'll be like, yes, we want to be that nation. And so did Israel. They wanted to be that nation. They said, we are, we're up for that God. And, and God met with Moses again. And there was a, on the Mount Sinai, there was a cloud, there was lightning, there was thunder... And God gives them this covenant, this Ten Commandments. But then he goes in Exodus chapter 25 all the way to 31. He gives them the blueprint of a tabernacle. And a tabernacle will be a place where the people meet with the presence of God. As I've reminded us before, in, in Genesis, Adam and Eve was walking with God. And they had a, a unique experience of the presence of God. But because sin came into the world, they would never interact or know the presence of God in the same way because of sin. But God wanted to meet with his people in an intimate way. Uh, many like what we've experienced, what we're experiencing this morning, what we experienced when we uh, asked for the Holy Spirit to come and be amongst us. And so they, they started to build this tabernacle, which is like exactly uh, is explained in chapter 25 to 31 to the, you know, to, to the, to the specific design exactly. And the people were saying, Moses, you're taking too long. They started to grumble. 
is going on too long. And so they say, we need someone to worship. They wanted to this tabernacle so they could worship their God. But they said, in the meantime, we need someone or something to worship. So they call on Moses' brother to build them a golden calf. But uh-oh, they've made a mistake because they have broken one of the Ten Commandments. They have broken the Ten Commandments of do not worship other gods because they started worshiping God. So God, understandably, he gets upset. He gets, in many ways, uh, I would like to uh, see as annoyed and angry, saying, you know, oh, my people, you've broken the covenants. But Moses goes up the mountain, he pleads with God. And he says, do you know, he says these two things. Don't forget your promises to Israel. God, what would no other nations think if you just destroy us? And God graciously says, okay, I'll give you another covenant. And then we get to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And Moses is up the mountain again. And, you know, he, he's saying to God, show me your glory. He's saying, I want to experience you more. I want to know you more. He's seen God uh, in the burning bush. He's, he's heard the audible voice of God. He's seen God do miracles as he, as, as in the, in the, when the plagues came in. But he wanted more of God. He hadn't had enough of God. And God says, I, my goodness will pass before you. And then we go to Exodus 34, which we are landing at the moment. And in Exodus 34, God doesn't turn up in, a, in the burning bush or in a cloud or anything like that. But he turns up by describing himself, his name. And he says this, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. See, this was God revealing himself. It was many ways like him describing his own name. This is who I am. And this would have been revelation uh, for Moses and then consequently to the people because they've known God as a creator God, Elohim, which we find in Genesis 1. They've known God in Genesis 17 as he says, Al Shaddai, the God Almighty. They knew God as this powerful thing, being uh, a great person who can do anything, but they didn't know the character of God. They didn't know how he would respond in certain situations in many ways. But God here says, this is who I am. And then as time passes, you know, biblical characters, and so do we, we declare these truths, but they all hang on, really, this verse of God actually describing himself. Exodus 34. So the last few weeks, we have, we've been looking at different, um, different of these lines in many ways, different ones of these. Uh, and this morning, I'm going to be carrying on the next part of our series. And I'm going to be talking about this one, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Yesterday morning, I woke up and uh, fairly early because Joel gets up early. And I decided that I would, um, well, I say I decided, I think Becky wanted some pancakes so uh, um, we didn't have any maple syrup in the house, and we didn't even have any tea bags. 
uh-oh, I know, big uh-oh for the morning. So we had to go out to Tesco's, which is around the corner. I went out to Tesco's quite early in the morning, went to Tesco's, got a few bits, and I thought, I'll buy a newspaper today. I don't do this always, I do this every so often, and I bought, you know, the independent, the I, the, 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 not the full independent, but the, the shorter version of the independent, the I. And I bought it, I went home, and I started reading it over breakfast. And I find newspapers fascinating because they're pretty much predictable. They're always very predictable. And you can pretty much guess what is going to be in a newspaper today. And it's, it's, it's around these lines, you know. It's, it's definitely going to be something about Brexit. Something about Theresa May, Brussels, you know. Uh, my thinking is they should just create a whole new newspaper for the Brexit. Because I think they would just sell it. Because they talk about it every day. It's front page news. And then there's something about Syria. Something about, you know, uh, uh, British citizens going over to Syria to help fight or support what's going on over there. And then there's something about the football, the rugby. And then it's Facebook calling them to, you know, get their act on with privacy and advertisement. And then there's knife crime in the UK, how it's an all-time high. And pretty much, it's so predictable. This has been on the news every day for the last few months of 2019. It's predictable. But this is the thing about it. It's all about justice, mostly. I had to skip through, I didn't read the whole newspaper because that would be there for hours, but I had to skip through and there was only one article that wasn't really about justice. But majority of the paper, a good 70, 80, 90% of the paper was about justice. Justice in Brexit. Justice in Syria. Justice in football. Justice against Facebook. Justice against knife crime. And depending upon your, your beliefs and your values will depend upon what side of the fence you sit on all these topics. Depending upon them, you will be, maybe this is good justice, this is right. See, if you were a praying mantis bug, do you know what those are? You should check it out on Google. It will be sociably acceptable to eat your mate. If you were a honey badger, do you know what a honey badger is? Check it out on Google as well. They have no regard to any other animals. If you were a panda and you had twins, it is normal to disregard one and to look after the other. But as humans, we would say all those things are wrong, unfair, and unjust. None of us, if we had twins, would more than likely say, I'm not going to look after that one, leave that one there, I'm off with this one, this is the better looking one. Or none of us are going to say, I'm going to eat a fellow human, I hope not anyway, because that is a crime. But we would all say they're wrong, unfair and unjust. And this morning, I want to speak to us upon the subject of the God of justice. See, in Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7, we've been looking at these things, that the Lord, Lord, Yahweh, the great I am who I am. He's the almighty God. He's the creator God. He can do anything. We've been looking at about how he's compassionate and gracious, that he loves us. His grace will come and save us and rescue us in our time of need. He's slow to anger. He has a hesed love for us. He has a loyal covenant love for us. But then he goes on to say, he will punish the guilty. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. See, how can a God who has a relentless love for his people 
yet punish the guilty. How can he do it? How can he have a relentless love for you and potentially punish you if you've done something wrong? That's what God's saying here. He's saying in many ways in this verse, I'm a merciful God, but I'm a God of justice. See, this raises the questions, is God fair? Is he morally trustworthy? Can I rely on him? Is he going to flip in his anger if he's a God of justice? See, justice is a term used for what is right or as it should be. Justice is one of God's attributes that flows from his holiness. We sometimes think of justice in a negative way. We primarily think about it as punishment. But actually, justice is profoundly positive. It's profoundly positive. Because in the Hebrew, the word for justice is misaphat, which carries a sense of putting things right. See, when God is a God of justice, he is putting things right. That's what he's doing. But I don't think we can understand God's justice unless we first understand sin. Sin is lawlessness. It embodies everything contrary to God's holy nature. God really hates sin. He really hates sin. God sees the evil and the pain in this world, and he hates it. He absolutely hates the evil and the pain in this world. But also, he sees the evil and the pain in us, and he hates it. It's not just about out there. It's about in us as well. How can his truly be a loving God and not hate the sin that stains our lives, the sin that ruins our lives, the pain and the disaster it causes. How can he not be a loving God if he doesn't hate the things that causes us pain and causes disaster in our lives? See, justice is absolutely necessary for a pure and perfect and a holy God. And in these verses, God is declaring in a whole That God shows great mercy, but he also shows justice. Yet God is both uh, the judge of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. But surely God is contradicting himself here. How can he combine these two apparent contradictions? See, I think we as a nation, we love both justice and mercy. We love justice when a man or woman has done wrong, when they've committed a crime. We love to throw them into prison, uh, lock the door, and throw away the key. Or even when someone has hurt us, we love justice, because we love to treat them differently. No, I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. Oh, you know, I'm not giving that person any sympathy anymore. I'm not going to help those people do that, because what they did to me is not right. Don't care if no one else knows about it. They did something wrong to me. We love justice in our inner self, but we also love mercy. We love mercy as a nation. When we we feel emotionally connected to something or someone, it will cause us to meet a personal need. See, this Friday, Friday the 15th of March, 
It is a, does anyone know what's going on Friday 15th of March? Maybe a Red Nose Day, yes, well done. Um, it's Red Nose Day. And our country last year raised over £70 million for Red Nose Day. But do you know what the saddest thing is about Red Nose Day? Is the Saturday afters when people are having their breakfast. breakfast. Because everyone watches those whatever four or five hours it is. They get emotionally connected. They act immersing, drop £20 uh, or whatever, £20 for Red Nose Day. And then they wake up and have their breakfast. And they've forgotten about those kids that are absolutely starving across the world. We've forgotten about those people that can't have an education. And last, a couple of weeks ago, me and Jamie were talking about why we can spend one evening uh, and be emotionally moved and act in mercy, and then the next day, it's completely out of our mind. I don't know why. But thankfully, God's mercy lasts forever. See, his mercy triumphs over judgment. It's like, have you ever seen those old-fashioned weighing scales? You know the ones where you put a weight on one side, and then you put something out. So like you put one kilogram weight, and then to even it out, you put like a bar of chocolate, you know, a kilogram bar of chocolate, to see if you've got enough chocolate. But this is what's, in many ways, if I can picture it for you, this is what's going on here. On one side, it's mercy. On one side, it's God's justice. But the crazy thing about God's this, uh, scales in God's uh, world is that the mercy is stronger, it's bigger, and it's heavier than actually God's justice. It's stronger and it's bigger than God's justice. Because it's not like we are facing a God that we don't know what we're going to get. It's not like we're facing a God that uh, heads I get mercy and tails I get God's justice. And depending on what's going on in my life or what's, go- what's happened, tails I've got God's justice. You know, we don't face a God who's flipping a coin and seeing what he's going to do to us. And thinking, am I going to act mercifully or am I going to act with justice? Heads, I've got his mercy today, thankfully. I'll put that away now. (laughs) But we don't have this unpredictable God. And we're thinking every morning and every evening, which side of God have I got today? I heard this great story. And it was about two people. And two people, they'd grown up in school and university together. And they became really good friends. But as life went on, they they lost contact. And one of them actually became a judge uh, of a local court. And another one, he sadly, his life spiraled out of control. And he ended up living a life of crime. And years went on. um, But one day, this this guy in the court was there. And he was going through his cases. And this guy comes in. And he notices, is that my friend from years ago? And he sees him there. And then he looks at his, his paperwork and thinks, what is going on here? And he committed a crime. And he looks at his friend, and his friend that day pleaded guilty to the crime he committed. And the judge was like, what do I do? His friend, he hadn't seen him for a long time, but they were great friends through school and university. And he felt a sense of mercy and compassion towards him. He wanted to say, actually, can we just wipe this over? But he was like, I've got to act with justice. So his, 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 as I said, his friend pleaded guilty, and he said to his friend, you know, we accept your guilty sentence, and today you have 
uh, he, he got a fine. I don't know how much the fine was, but he got given a fine. And then the judge came off his seat, walked down to his friend, and he wrote a check for the exact amount of money of the fine that he just gave. Do you know what? That's what God does to us. That is a perfect, well, no enough perfect picture of what's going on here. God has to be a God of justice. He has to give us uh, what, in many ways, we do deserve through the things and things we've done wrong. But then he comes along and he just wipes the fine away. See, this is what God does for us. We deserve the penalty for what we've done wrong. But this is what goes on. God rewrites the script of our lives with his mercy. He rewrites the script of our lives with his mercy. But it doesn't stop the fact that God unquestionably hates sin in the world, sin in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, many of us would have heard the news story of a, a young 15-year-old girl heading towards Syria, Shamia Begum, if I pronounced it right. Shamia Begum, she had been raised in Britain. She was born in Britain, she, so therefore she had a British citizenship. 15-year-old uh, girl, she, two, her and two friends decided to go to Syria to start a new perfect family life, apparently. Four years on, she's had two kids, and she's had another kid now, but she, apparently yesterday she sadly lost that kid, the third one now. Um, and she's gone through this. She wants to come back into England, and as many of us are aware, she's been stripped of her citizenship. She's been told she's not allowed back in this country. So in many ways, she has not got a, a home country. She hasn't got a citizenship. But what I've been astounded by is what the news and social media have been saying and doing. I've been astounded by the, the, the fact that so many people are on different sides. Some people are like, justice is the way. She did something wrong. She chose to go over there. She has seen people being beheaded. She's seen other things probably she hasn't told us about. She, we don't know what ISIS have done to her. And is she going to come back and potentially, you know, do things that were acts of terrorism? And then she, she deserves not to have her, her, her British citizenship. I don't care if she's born in Britain. There's been so many people on news and social media that are just like, justice, justice, justice. But on the other hand, there's people who are like, wow, you know, she was 15 years old. It's our mistake. She was naive. She made some mistakes. You know, we should show great mercy. And I don't know if you've seen very similar things. There's been justice and there's been mercy. And I, I, this is the thing, right? We love, as a nation and people, we love to compare and we love to talk and we love to judge. We find it so easily to become the justice police. If we have our hands on hearts, we've probably all done it. See, we're not here to judge, but we're here to show mercy. See, as far as I know of the Bible, there is no scripture in the Bible that says judge. There's no scripture that says judge your neighbor, or put it another way, examine your friend's motives, or watch their life and be ready to recorrect their lives. There's no scripture about judging people. It's not our role to judge people. I think that's God's role. See, when we are saying there should be justice, maybe it's time for us to show mercy. 
Let's look at a few passages in the Bible. Uh, Luke 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Luke 6, 37. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay attention to the plank in your own eye? Love this verse. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love this verse. He's saying, like, you're so focused on judging others, you don't even see what's going on in yourself. Matthew 12, verse 36. This is the last verse. Every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Crazy scary. Every word we shall speak, we will give an account on the day of judgment. We love that God is going to wash clean our slate, and he will. doesn't stop, there's going to be account. We love the fact that God is merciful and gracious, and he definitely is. There is no doubt about that. But still, we have to give an account for the words we say to one another. And that, uh, God tells us one of the things that sin causes in our lives. He says he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. You know, you read this verse. He punishes the, uh, the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Does that mean, you know, I've sinned, I've messed up. Does that mean, like, Joel gets my punishment? I don't think it does. This is what I think is going on here. I think there's two things going on here. Uh, parents' sin has a consequence onto your children's life. Therefore, say, for example, your, you, you, say, for example, mum and dad, they were addicted to drugs. They kept taking drugs, kept taking drugs, and they, they just... They were just so addicted to it, and it ended up actually them having to go to prison because of it. The consequence is, sadly, that child will have to go into care. The consequence is that actually that child is being affected by the parent's sin, their addiction. And that's what it's saying. It's going from generation to generation. The other thing it's saying is that uh, not always, but often, sin runs in family. Sin is like DNA, the color of your hair, the way you work, even your personality that's passed from generation to generation. The children in this sample will grow up seeing their parents taking drugs, taking drugs, taking drugs. More than likely, but not always, more than likely, they have potential of going into a life of drugs when they grow up. The sin has been inherited from that. Have you ever thought about that, where you, you, know, you might have children or the people around you, that your sin could potentially be passed on? They watch you and they will repeat you. If you're, if you're at home, you know, swearing in every other word, your children are going to be probably swearing in every other word. Many of us probably don't do that. However, there's things in our lives which we don't have, uh, which, we, we, which we sin, which our children will see and probably copy. There is a consequence to our sin, 
an earthly consequence here. There will be an earthly consequence. If you were to you know, drive at 50 miles an hour on a 30 mile an hour road, your consequences, you're going to get the points, you're going to get the fine. But if you did something even bigger, if you were married and then you had an affair, the consequences, you're going to ruin your family life. And it's serious. Sin is so serious. It doesn't just damage you. It damages the people around you. It damages your family, your your children, your friends. Billy Graham says this. Man tries to remake God to conform to his own wishful thinking so that he can make himself comfortable in his sin. Man tries to remake God to conform to his own wishful thinking so that he can make himself comfortable with his sin. Sometimes we can, we can say, well, we can justify our sin because we say, well, God does this. God's like this. Well, we make him what God is like rather than just studying the Bible, looking at the Bible, knowing our understanding of God from this so that we say, well, God's okay with this. Look at your inner self. Are you remaking God in your life? The sin, anger. Lust, greed, pride, self-focus. This is serious. Serious for your life. It's serious for your, your family and your friends, the people around you. We redefine good and evil to work it better for ourselves. It's called self-preservation. So that we can go off it. And It's called making our own God. Making our own God. See, God is a God of justice because he hates sin. He sees what sin does in our lives, the pain. When when we make mistake after mistake after mistake, and it's affecting our families, our friends, it's affecting church, it's affecting our workplaces. It's sin, and God hates that, and he doesn't want that to happen. So he's like, he's got to be a God of justice. Micah 6, verse 8. This is a very uh, famous verse. And it says this. Has he, has he has told you, O man, what is good? Yet what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. You know, some of us might have this on a plaque in our homes because it's a very famous verse. But what is going on here? Well, Micah 6 is an imaginary conversation between God, the Lord, and Israel. And in verses 1 to 5, he introduces the case against the disobedience of the people of Israel. And he gives them a series of questions. But the people of Israel don't reply. They, their reply is, what do we need to do to be forgiven? And they say, should we bring a a calf? Should we bring a thousand rams? See, this is what's going on. The people of Israel were focused on, how can I repair or restore when I've messed up? How can I, you know, how can I be forgiven? Rather than to stop sinning. That's what's going on in Micah 6. They just keep sinning. They're not dealing with the root of the sin. They're just saying, I've messed up. God, how do I make it better? What animals do I need to bring and sacrifice? Wait, and then, then, uh, then God says this, 
to do justice, to love kindness, walk humbly with your God. That's what it's about. It's not about what makes uh, me um, right again, but it's about dealing with the sin and the root of the sin. They're too concerned with how to be forgiven rather than doing what is right. Justice, putting things right. And that's what we need in life, to do justice, put things right in our lives, love kindness and walk humbly before our God. Mercy always triumphs over justice. Let's think about the Israelites, because that's what we're talking about today. God has shown great justice and mercy. Something goes wrong. Well, I was saying earlier, the people were getting so frustrated, so grumbled that Moses was taking too long at the mountain to build the tabernacle. And the people get restless. So what do they do? They enter a life of sin. And God, understandably, is like, why are you doing this? He gets so frustrated, so angry. But then God says, okay, Moses has come before me. I will give you a new covenant. And this is the good news of the gospel, that actually we mess up. We make mistakes. We do sin. There's no doubt about that. And then as we come before a God, like Moses came before uh, a God, and plead with him, he shows us that mercy and kindness to say, I will give you a new start, a brand new start, a new life. And this is the good news of the gospel. And this is where we live. But at the same time, God is like, he is a God of justice. He hates sin. He's putting things right in the world, but also in our lives. But mercy always triumphs over over justice. Always triumphs over justice. And God, he's rewriting the script of our lives with his mercy. God is rewriting the script of your life with his mercy. But the challenge is that Micah challenge to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. You know, if we really think about it, we are so thankful that God is a God of justice. We don't want him to love all the killings that go on. We don't want him to love when families are ruined. But it's the sin from us that has caused all that. It's the consequence of what we've done wrong. And God needs to put it right through his mercy. I just want to spend 30 seconds. I want you to think about what things in your life that God might need to put right? Not to punish you, but to help you to live a full life. It could be something small, it could be something big. Maybe it's how you respond to a certain situation. How you respond when your children comes running up to you and you're trying to do some work and you say, not now, not now, not now, and you get really angry at them. Um, it might be something like that. Let's just take 30 seconds with God. Father God, I thank you that you are the God of justice. I thank you that you do hate sin. And I pray that you would help each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to overcome the sin, those sinful habits and patterns in our life. 
Father God, and I pray that your mercy will triumph over these. I thank you it, it does. And it's all because of the cross of Jesus. And I pray that we would live in your forgiveness, in your redemption, in the fullness of your life. That we won't just make our own God, or we won't just, just ignore the sin and live in the mercy. But we would deal with the sin and live in the mercy. Father God, help us this week to do justice, to love kindness, and to act justly, um, and to walk humbly. Help us to be able to do that in our lives, in our relationships, in our workplaces, because we know that is where we have the fullness of life, in you. Thank you, God. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our